Open them up uh, to Mark. Uh, we're going to look at Mark 1, uh, verses 14 through 20. And if you are new here, or new-ish here, one of the things that may be um, unusual to you or you haven't experienced before is after each time we read the passage, uh, and Adrian, you can go to the next slide. We read the passage, we will say the word of the Lord, I'll say the word of the Lord, and you'll say thanks be to God. And we do this as part of our tradition as Anglicans, and other denominations do this as well. And it's an opportunity really for us, every time the Bible is read, to no matter what part of the Bible is read, whether it's our favorite part or our most uncomfortable part of the Bible, is that we, as a posture, look to the Lord and say thank you for your word and thank you This is the word of the Lord, and thank you for giving it to us. So we are naming that when we read the Bible, this is not just a collection of our ideas or people's thoughts, but we are saying this is the authoritative word of God that sits over us, and we are thankful for it. Amen? Amen. All right, let me read the Bible, and then we will um, crank this up together. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are incredibly thankful for the Bible. It's a gift to us. From you to your people that tells us the the great story of a God, the God, graciously loving and accepting an unfaithful and broken people. Father, I pray that your word this morning would remind us of truth, convict us of sin through the work of the Holy Spirit, and that we as a body of believers, as men and women who grew up in all different parts of this city, of this state, of this country, of this world even, will sit under the authority of the Scripture and be unified by it. May you use your Scripture to nourish us this morning, to grow us up, to give us food for us to digest Nutrients that we need to grow into men and women that display the fruits of the Spirit. Father, I pray for those in our church who are hurting, those who are going through difficult times, whether it's financially or relationally or with their health. I pray for those that are sitting in these black folding chairs who may be anxious this morning about some unknowns in their lives. May the peace of Christ Come to them. Father, give us opportunities as a church to continue to be the hands and feet of Christ, not only to each other, but to those outside of these four walls as well. We pray for those in our city who are experiencing homelessness or are without heat in their homes. 
We pray that You would take care of them, meet their needs, but we also pray that You would give us eyes to see those who are hurting and give us courage to move forward to help meet those needs. Father, we are grateful for You. And we pray that Your kingdom would come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Men and women, I want you to do the best you can of putting yourself in the shoes of the four gentlemen in this passage who Jesus has spoken to. Simon, Andrew, John, and James. These four guys probably know about Jesus at this point. A little bit about him. In Luke's Gospel, we see a little bit more of the chronology of the story. We know that before these men were called... Jesus was already performing some miracles. But what Mark highlights here, which is 100% consistent with the other Gospels, is that directly before Jesus called these men, follow me, the main guy of this entire movement before Jesus, looking at verse 14, this guy John the Baptist, the main guy leading the charge, has been arrested. Like silver bracelets on, behind the back, led away, arrested. So now Jesus comes to these guys and says, you know what just happened to him? I'm in line with that same way of thinking, and yes, I want you to come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Simon, Andrew, John, and James. At this point, they're not following a set of ideas or a list of winsome advice. These men are choosing to follow a person. A person who wasn't coming to preach a message of, you're so great. Let me flatter you with praise to win you over and sell you on coming with me. He wasn't preaching a message of, come follow me and I will give you all of your heart's desires. No, this man, Jesus, is in line with the man that was just preaching, repent and believe. Literally, own your sins and then turn from it. This Jesus simply promises them two things. A relationship, follow me, and that he's going to change them. I'll make you fishers of men. So why did they choose to follow Him? There's something about this Jesus guy. Not just His idea. Not just His words that He says. But something about Jesus that compelled these men. Grabs their attention. Captivates their entire beings. To say, I want to leave the life that I have to go be with Him. And remember, this happens over and over again in the stories in the Gospel. In Mark 8, Jesus compels and captivates a crowd of 4,000 for three solid days. Commentators have concluded in that story that the text, in that text, the people did not go home to their beds at night, didn't even break to go get meals. Instead, they camped out on the ground, anxious to keep their spots, saving their seats, to ensure they didn't miss a thing that happened. Completely compelled by Jesus. 
captivated by him. Think about the story in Luke 19. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector. Wealthy beyond what we could probably even get our heads around. Presumably had everything money could offer him. But he wasn't satisfied. And he heard about a guy named Jesus and wanted to see who he was, but being a little on the short side, couldn't because of the crowds around him. So he ran ahead, climbs a sycamore tree, since Jesus was simply walking that way. Why did he do this? There was something about Jesus that was so captivating and compelling. Philippians 3.8 says, this is Paul talking, the Apostle Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Scotty Smith, a pastor who I think is retired now, he paraphrases this by saying, Jesus compared... Is a prayer to Jesus. Compared to the infinite value of knowing you, the worth of you, yourself, Jesus, being known by you, loved by you, being alive in you, delighted in by you, comparing everything to you in the riches of the gospel makes everything else seem worthless. So what is Jesus offering these disciples? And what is he offering us 2,000 years later? He's simply offering himself. He's offering his captivating, compelling self, and through a relationship with him, he's offering to change you. And I'm here to tell you, if you're starting out in 2024 on fire for Jesus, your spiritual life is just a 10 out of 10, praise the Lord. But I'm also here to tell you, if you are feeling a little bit dried up, in your spiritual life. I want you to understand that what Jesus offers you is not just a list of instructions on how to improve your life. Yes, the commands of God are for our good. But what He's inviting you is to get to know Him again. You go read the Gospels. If you're here because you're like Zacchaeus and are desperately searching, if you have you know, gone and tried everything else and you're like, maybe I'll try this Jesus guy, hear me when I say to you that offering what we're offering at this church, we hope you had a wonderful cup of coffee. We hope that you felt love. We hope that somebody has already greeted you this morning. But more than anything, what we are offering you week in and week out is an invitation to meet Jesus. Because we know that He's changed our lives and continues to, and we know that's the only thing we can offer you that will truly change you. And that Jesus was compelling and still is compelling enough to demand a response from those four guys and from us. Pastor Mac last, last week said, Encountering Jesus demands a response. We'll choose to fully embrace Him as our Lord and God or reject Him as anything else. In other words, the call to follow Jesus is a call to do so without an if attached to it. Think about those ori- original disciples. There wasn't 
a negotiation that happened. Jesus didn't invite them into, you know, a diner downtown, offer to give them a meal, and then say, I have a deal for you. Takes out a blank napkin, writes it down, and says, the two things, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Writes them down, slides it over to their side of the booth, They look back and they can't say, or they don't say, it's not an option for them to say, I like this, but I'm going to write you back my negotiations here, my demands. I would love to follow you, but I'd also love to not die. Not an option. I would love to follow you, but I need to go bury my father. Jesus not saying that's not a good thing, but he's saying that's not an option in the contract. They don't write back saying, I will follow you if you always take care of my financial needs. I will follow you if no relationship in my life goes south because of me following you. In essence, the deeper we dig into the Scriptures, the more we see that the, the, the offer doesn't include all these things that we so long for, for our stability, for our control, for our safety. But so often the promise of following his, is, Him is that we do lose certain things. We lose some of our freedoms to submit to Him. Sometimes following Him even has a, an impact on our relationships that we have got to lay at the feet of Jesus. So when we look at the negotiations that Jesus has with those four disciples in Mark 1, it's like signing a contract, but it's your signature at the bottom with a blank page on top. And we're asking Jesus, inviting Jesus, submitting to Jesus, saying you can fill in the rest. So why did the disciples do this? Why did they leave their life of seeming comfort to follow this man. And they did so because they were so captivated by him. And that compelled them to follow him. And it turns out once they did start following him, that he was way more complex than they originally thought. I'm curious if any of you guys have seen this movie right here. It's called Uncut Gems. Raise your hand if you've seen this movie. You can be honest. It's okay. Uh, it's a safe place. Here's the basic story. There's no, no spoilers here. I, I, it's a great movie. Here's this guy. I'm going to read this. This is how they describe it. A guy named Howard Ratner, which is Adam Sandler, if you can't see that from the picture. So once successful New York gems dealer, jewelry dealer, dealer, who has a gambling addiction, left his family and career in shambles because of the addiction and left him in hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Always looking for the next big bet, Howard thinks he has finally hit it big when he discovers a rare, uncut opal from Ethiopia with a very interested, high-profile buyer. But the closer Howard gets to finally winning big, the more he is forced to realize he can't keep running from the consequences of his actions. This is a, it's a super serious, absolutely edge-of-your-seat, thrilling movie where the lead character is Adam Sandler. I'm just going to go to the next slide here. This is the Adam Sandler I remember. So I, uh, I just celebrated 40 last year. 
I grew up, Adam Sandler was an integral part of my childhood. Like Mr. Deeds, Happy Gilmore, The Waterboy, uh, Billy Madison. This is the guy that only, I only know him for these ridiculous, funny roles that he has played. And even for the last ten years, it's like this, his script is the same. I'm going to gather my closest buddies. We're going to do some dumb movie that's going to, you know, a million tickets are going to get sold, and I'm going to make a ton of money, and then I'm going to do it again the next year. I have never seen him in anything other than a silly, immature comedy movie. But this Uncut Gems film is described by a critic as a two-hour-plus panic attack featuring a nail-biting performance from Sandler, Ratner, the, the main character, his quest to escape from massive debt and a crippling gambling habit spares no expense, leaving the audience anxious and breathless by the film's end. Church, I found this movie. Diane was at work one night, scrolling through Netflix, seeing, I saw the movie, and I was like, this will be fun. A little comedy. This will be great. Nostalgic for me. Adam Sandler's put out a new comedy. This is great. 20 minutes in, my heart pumping out of my chest, realizing this is not funny. (laughs) There's not one part of this movie that makes you laugh, when is it going to get funny? I remember the same thing. I don't know if you guys have ever seen um, Will Ferrell. He's in a movie called Stranger Than Fiction. An hour into that movie, I was like, this ain't ever getting funny. Like, this, there's no part of this. There's no turn to this where it gets funny at all. In Uncut Gems, a lot of things. He should have won awards for this movie, but it's not funny. And I had to admit that I put Adam Sandler in a little bit of a box. I mean, some of that's his own doing. Mr. Deeds, Happy Gilmore, Waterboy, Billy Madison, like he, you know, was on a road there for a long time. But I put him in a box of saying he's a comedian. He only does comedy movies. But he's actually incredibly good in this movie. And when I put Adam Sandler in that box, it made me think, as I'm laughing to myself, not at the movie, but laughing to myself while I'm watching that, I remember thinking, I wonder how often I do this to Jesus. How often do I put Him in a box where I'm comfortable with my understanding of who He is? So instead of continuing to get to know Him and His complexities, I would prefer to keep Him in my comfortable box. And so the complexities of Jesus, there's some of you in this room that love the part of Jesus that cares for the poor. Some of you have a picture of Jesus, and the picture when you think about Jesus, you love the passage where passages where Jesus cares for the downtrodden and those that are going through destitute times. You love when he calls the rich young ruler to give away his wealth. And Jesus, hear me, He cares deeply about the poor. But He doesn't just care about the poor. Luke 8 tells us that He had rich friends that probably helped bankroll the ministry. Or how about that incredibly uncomfortable story where that woman comes with a whole jar of perfume worth a year's wages and just dumps it on Him. Those of you who love the Jesus who loves the poor, that passage makes you squirm a little bit. But that's also Jesus. 
Some of you have them in a box of personal holiness. You love the passages in the Gospel in the New Testament where we are called to pursue holiness. And Jesus is a big fan of those. But sometimes you're slower to embrace the passages, like the one where Jesus meets the woman at the well and shows her great mercy. Some of you love the social justice Jesus, the the Jesus who flips over the tables in the temple courts. Some of you have a picture of Jesus who only picks fights. Your picture of Jesus is the one so upset at those money changers in the temples that he flips over the tables, and therefore you have that Jesus that you have been drawn to, and you're looking for a fight everywhere you go. In the name of Jesus, you may be ready to go to war, online or in person, over some theological issue, or a preference in how you do life or marriage or church. Yet that same Jesus who flipped over the tables, he also said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other cheek also. And if you are like this, you're in good company. This was Peter at the end of Jesus' life after he's walked with Jesus for years. Jesus was voluntarily heading towards his death. And Peter got so angry at that guard that he pulled out his sword and sliced his ear off. Jesus, in very emphatic words, says, put your sword away. And then when Peter had the chance to identify as a follower of Christ a few moments later, which would have put his his life at risk, he was an absolute coward in the moment. You see, Jesus, I mean, Peter had put Jesus in a box, and Peter was more ready to kill for Jesus than he was to listen to the call to die for Jesus. Let me say that again to make sure it sinks in. Peter was ready to kill for Jesus, but not ready to die for him. Some of you are ready to go on a a rampage for Jesus, but not willing to die to yourself in following him. So we're captivated by Jesus, entering a relationship with him, spending an eternity getting to know him. But how do we do this? How do we sustain this going forward? We look again to those disciples. Jesus didn't call them, give them some instructions, and send them on a mission. He asked those disciples to walk with him day in and day out. Jesus gives us the picture of this with his own words, with that simple illustration of the vine and the branches, saying that we, as his people, our call is to stay connected to the vine. And you and I are invited to a lifetime of getting to do this together. That woman that Ashley mentioned, it will be the speaker at the women's retreat, which we, as men, let me say, we're very excited for you guys to go on this retreat. We want to be as supportive as possible. The more you guys uh, share about this, the more that I also would like to go, if that's an option. Uh, I feel like it's catering this year. We are at the Ark, which is one of my favorite places in the whole entire state. And uh, the, the cherry on top was that the woman who is coming to speak is a woman named Miss Justina Dix. I've known Justina since 2005, and we sometimes end up in meetings together or at something in the city together. And if I know Justina's coming, I will get there early 
and I will do my best to sit right next to her. Justina's probably 40, uh, probably 50 to 60. I don't, I don't, I don't speculate on women's ages, kind of like pregnancies. Like, until that water breaks, I will never ask, are you pregnant? Uh, same thing with women's ages. But I can tell you this woman's been walking with the Lord for a long time. And someone was asking me about her this week, and I said, the best description I can give you of Miss Justina is that within five minutes, you will think to yourself, this woman has been with Jesus. It changes us. But it's not something that happens in a microwave. It is a slow cooker that over time, being connected, being captivated by Christ, the complex Christ, not just our picture of who we want Jesus to be, but actually who he is, if we stay connected to him, it changes us. It softens us. It gives us courage when we are scared. It gives us faith when we feel like we have no faith to offer. And it doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes from Jesus. So I want to give you two kind of applications from this of what to do. The one is in this one is to let you know that as Anglicans, a church, you know, a Redeemer Community Church, we are also Anglican, which means that we, you know, have a tradition which informs kind of how we uh, how we do certain aspects of the church. And one of those things is a thing called the daily office. And the daily office is a plan uh, that we have been handed down. It's handed down to us uh, from generations past of how to kind of go about reading the Bible in a systemic way over the course of multiple years. And there's things with the daily office, and it comes out of a bigger book called the Book of Common Prayer, where it has every day, there's a rhythm to it where there's a morning prayer, an afternoon prayer time, an evening prayer time, and then a comp line, which is kind of you're going to bed at night and a prayer time, a liturgy for that. Ruby has graciously on that app uh, that we you know, are, are continuing to push here, so we'd love for you to have that app as a way to stay connected to the church. But on that app, if you scroll to the bottom, there is a, a link to the daily office that will instantly link to a web page. And on that daily office, it literally walks you through a liturgy for every morning, afternoon, evening, and at bedtime. You don't have to come up with that on your own. It points you to scripture. It points you to prayers. And I would invite you that if you are longing for a deeper connection of Jesus to Jesus, pick one of those four things to do every day. You want to do them all, that's great, uh, but it's a lot. Uh, So maybe pick the morning prayer. It takes 10 minutes. You wake up. At some point in the morning before you get going, just read through those prayers. Read through those scriptures. And you will not change by Tuesday. But a year from now, if you have been with Jesus in his word, you will be unrecognizable in certain aspects of your life. I can promise you, hand on that same Bible that I'm I'm telling you to read, it will change you. Because the Bible is not simply commands, it is an invitation to get to know Jesus. And as we head towards communion, Rich, you can come up and play here, lead us into communion. And Leanne, you can make your way down here. As we head towards communion, this is our weekly reminder, and this is the, the apex of the service, that we come to the table not for advice, not simply to confess sins, But we come to the table week in and week out to meet Jesus again. 
He says, this is my body. This is my flesh. This is my blood given for you. Take, eat. This is nourishment for our souls. This is fuel for us to go on and live out those commandments. But more than anything else, it's an opportunity for us to connect again to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we are incredibly grateful for your kindness and generosity to us. We're grateful for the fact that in the scriptures, we are reminded of the call that you have placed on us to reconnect and to follow you again. Father, if we have strayed, if we have stepped away, welcome us back in with your open arms. Give us courage to say again, not our will, but yours. 